Teaching Leadership Team here at Jericho, and it is our pleasure to have you here with us this morning. Well, as uh, David already reminded us of, this summer we are studying the life of Solomon, and Solomon is one of the wisest people who ever lived. And so we're looking at his life, and we're exploring the first part of the book of First Kings, which is where we find his story. And so as we move through that part of the Bible in the Old Testament, we're asking ourselves the question, what does it take for us to build wisdom into our lives as individuals? So hence the blueprints theme. So a few weeks ago when Meg and I were in Africa, you can see some of the themes we've been developing over the course of the summer on our wisdom wall over here. And Ruth Ellen taught through the text in the book of 1 Kings uh, chapter 3, where Solomon, it describes how Solomon came to acquire wisdom. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, we have this story of Solomon having a dream. And in that dream, God comes to him and says to him, Solomon, what is it that you want? What can I do for you? And so we have that dream portrayed here by a 17th century artist, Luca Giordano. And these uh, dreams, they always get these sort of Renaissance-type majesty. It's almost like a laser beam coming from God's eyes, hitting Solomon while he sleeps. And who sleeps in that kind of a position? That's totally awkward. And then <laughs> Walter says he does. <laughs> And God asked Solomon, what do you want? Ask and I'll give it to you. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never had God appear to me in anything like that, even in my dreams. And I don't usually have dreams like this painting. And if God did, and I was Solomon, I would have probably made a rookie mistake. I would have done something like, oh, anything I want. Like, I don't think on my feet very quickly in my dreams. I don't know if you do. So I probably would have gone for, like, quick thinking, a million dollars. That would be the first thing out of my mouth. God want anything, anything? A million bucks. Okay, let's do it. So, you know that song, if I had a million dollars, then I could do all of those wonderful things. Like what? What are some of the things you can do? If I had a million dollars, I'd... I'd buy you a house, uh, more, most of a house, most of a house, an emu, a not a real fur coat, that's cruel. I'd buy you a green dress, not a real green dress, that's cruel. I'd, you have, that's right, we'd eat fancy ketchup, take a limousine because it costs more, you know, a K car, a nice reliant automobile. Yeah, I owned one of those, yeah. A monkey, haven't you always wanted a monkey? So there's lots of things. That would be million dollars, would be first thing in my mind. But Solomon, see, he doesn't make that. He doesn't fall for that trap. He doesn't ask for wealth when God asks him, what do you want? So then if I could think about the next thing, if I got past that rookie mistake and I was Solomon, I would think, okay, what else might I have asked for? Now, remember the beginning of 1 Kings, Solomon's own brother tries to take the throne from him. So it's a time of political instability, and there's a lot of nations at war with each other around. And so if I was Solomon, I would have asked for, like, the death of my enemies, or maybe um, 
I might have asked for a giant wall and have my enemies pay for it to protect my country so that other people couldn't get in that I didn't want in my country. But Solomon didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for military victory or protection. He asked God for wisdom, and the text says God gave it to him. God was pleased to give Solomon wisdom. And so 1 Kings 3.12 says, I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. It's incredible, incredible experience that Solomon had. But there's a teeny tiny problem with this experience in Solomon's dream. And that is the problem that Solomon's dream doesn't actually help me at all know how to get wisdom in my life. Because like I said, God's never appeared to me in a dream and asked, Brad, what would you want if I could give you anything? And so I know you're supposed to say wisdom, but this Solomon's dream doesn't help you or me figure out how we actually are supposed to go about getting wisdom in our lives. And so thankfully, there's actually a solution to this challenge, and that is that Solomon wrote down for us how we can go about growing in wisdom in our lives because he wrote down some of the insights that God gave him in his experience. And these are recorded for us in, amongst other places, the book of Proverbs. And so in the book of Proverbs, we have Solomon's collected wisdom, these little sayings of how to go about living in such a way that exemplifies wisdom and wise thinking and right acting. And so the real question then is, how are you and I going to grow in wisdom? How does a person actually gain more wisdom in their life? Is it possible or is it just something you have or you don't have? How do you get wisdom? Now, I know that the right answer in Sunday school is usually Jesus, so he probably factors heavily in this conversation as well. But Solomon actually describes for us a set of activities, a set of actions that you and I can undertake to grow our wisdom. And so we're going to look in the book of Proverbs chapter 2, and we're going to see this morning the incredible benefits of wisdom. But not only that, we're going to see three things that you and I can do in our lives to increase wisdom in our own lives. And so let me pray for you as we drive into our text this morning in Proverbs chapter 2. God, uh, we thank you for this time that we have together. We want to be people who are wise. We recognize, God, that we live in a world that lacks wisdom. And all of us face circumstances in our lives that we need wisdom to be able to think correctly and to be able to act with wisdom, to make right decisions about all of the complicated things that face us in our lives, whatever age and stage of life we're at. And so, God, we want to be people who are wise, and you promise us in your word that if we lack wisdom, we're to ask you and you give it generously to us. And so, God, would you do that in this place this morning? Would you be faithful to your promise to give us wisdom? We want and desire to be people who grow in wisdom and who are known by a watching world around that the wisdom that we possess is yours, Father. And so, would you do that for us by your gracious Holy Spirit? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
Well, turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to Proverbs chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses from the New Living Translation. And we'll be looking at specifically how we can go about gathering and building wisdom into our lives. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 1 says this, My child, listen to what I say. Treasure my commands. Tune your ear toward wisdom. Concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding and he grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He's a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the path of the just. He protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair and you will find the right way to go for wisdom will enter your heart. Knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. And then the text goes on to describe two specific examples or types of people who lack wisdom. And the picture that it uses is people who are walking down, instead of paths of wisdom, dark, shadowy alleys doing wrong things, taking pleasure in seeking out activities that are evil. Another picture is the picture of an immoral or promiscuous woman and using that image of a dark path. Solomon says, do not walk down these paths. These are not the paths the people who take who are wise. And the chapter then finishes in verse 20 with an admonition to follow the steps of righteous living or a good person and stay on the paths of wisdom and righteousness. But in the midst of those warnings, did you catch that long list that Solomon lays out for us of the incredible value and benefit that wisdom has that it can enrich our lives in specific ways? The value of pursuing wisdom. Look at this list. This is something that people want in our world today. Benefits of wisdom. It comes with knowledge. Verse 5, spiritual understanding. An ability to actually make decisions using common sense. Verse 8, it comes with God's protection, watching and guarding over your life. Your life will be filled with joy when wisdom enters your heart. You'll have guidance in making wise decisions and the right pathways to go on and to pursue. You'll be saved from the harmful consequences of evil actions, both of your own and of others, and from crooked people whose devices they want to deploy against you. It's an incredible list of things that if you pursue and are able to obtain wisdom that come along with wisdom into your life as an individual. 
But the question still remains, okay, that's the benefits of wisdom. How do I get wisdom? What are the things that you and I can do to pursue the paths of wisdom? Because unlike Solomon, these things don't just get dropped in your lap in your sleep. You have to work at gaining wisdom. You have to seek after it like it's a treasure, the text says. You have to pursue wisdom like you would hunt for silver or for gold. Now, how many of you have actually been panning for gold, even the fake sort of artificial kind of gold that you can do at like Fort Langley or like, okay, so a good number of you. So panning for gold, you can do it in all kinds of different places. Uh, Deb and Josh Groom talked about one time they went up to some of the the, uh, waterways up outside of Hope and actually did it for real uh, instead of in like Fort Langley where it's a little controlled environment. But panning for gold, I can remember doing this as a kid Uh, Growing up, we camped and overnighted a few times in Barkerville. And Barkerville, you know, being the heart of the gold rush in BC, historically, this is one of their things. And so they still effectively milk this for tourism decades and decades and decades later. And so when we camped there, we went down and you could get a little gold pan and you could actually go down into the stream and you could pan for gold for real. And whatever you found, you were allowed to keep. So we went down, uh, myself, my younger sister and younger brother, and the three of us got in there in the stream. And we're kind of, you know, when you do this, you get one of these pans, and then you dig it into the water and rocks, and you get all the, the stuff that comes up, and you kind of shake it a little bit, right? So you're trying to get some of the water out, and you see those ridges on the edge here. You're trying to get the gold to stick in the ridges as you kind of empty it out, and then see if anything's there. You f- sift around, then you go in again, and you dig, and you dig, and you dig. Well, after a couple of minutes of this, I got kind of bored of panning for gold because I wasn't getting any gold. And so I thought, enough of this. The gold's probably been gone for 100 years from this prospector. So I left my brother and sister to pan for gold in the stream in Barkerville and started to wander around. And then my eyes spotted the gift shop. And in the window of the gift shop, there was a little vial which had a little bit of sand, a little bit of water, and a little bit of shiny flakes in it too. So I marched into the gift shop, emptied my piggy bank, and bought myself my little vial of Barkerville gold. Now, after I paid good money for it, I looked on the bottom and it said it was not real gold. But this didn't stop me from comparing notes with my brother and sister, who actually had persisted for a long time and had actually been successful in getting a few flakes of real gold for their efforts. And so we went back in September to school and all wrote in our What I Did This Summer essays, which you do, and we all talked about the fact that we panned for gold. However, my essay uh, really wasn't accurate to say that I panned for gold. I panned for gold for about two minutes, got bored, gave up because it wasn't doing anything for me, and then went to the gift shop and bought the cheap imitation. But my sister and brother actually persisted in it and actually were successful in panning for gold. See, the major difference was they were willing to put in the hard work of actually doing it, And I just put my money on the counter, got my fake imitation stuff in a vial, and walked off. 
they worked hard for the real deal. I just fell for the cheap imitation. And here's the point of this story as it relates to wisdom. When it comes to acquiring wisdom, growing in wisdom, there are two pathways that you can take. You can dig in and do the hard work of developing wisdom in your life. But this is going to be a process that does require a long-haul commitment to it and requires you to do some work. And there's incredible treasure that comes with all of those benefits that were mentioned before. Or the second option for you is you can try to develop a little bit of wisdom, give up after about two minutes, settle for the cheap imitation, and try and pawn it off to other people as if you're pursuing wisdom and are a person who is wise. And I have a concern that in our culture, a lot of what masquerades as wisdom is really just the cheap imitation stuff. It hasn't been developed and cultivated through the hard work of persistence. It's the cheap knockoff stuff. It hasn't been worked for. Because Proverbs chapter 2 actually talks about the way in which you can develop wisdom in your life. And it isn't a short process. Fair warning, it's hard work to grow and develop a life of wisdom. You can't simply buy it in the gift shop. There's no shortcut for it. So with that warning in mind, what does it take to actually wrestle for wisdom? To actually go after it and see what it looks like. So if you want to do that, you've got to grab your gold panning equipment and sift through some of these verses to find your answers to the question, how do we actually get wisdom? Solomon lays it out for us. And he lists three specific actions that we can take that will develop or cultivate wisdom in our lives if you're willing to do the hard work and don't give up. So the first one that he says is right there in verse 1. How do I get wisdom? Listen attentively. Listen attentively. Listen to what I say. Treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom. Listening attentively. So to whom are we listening attentively? Verse 6 says it. The Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So we're to be listening attentively to God's voice. Now that notion of listening attentively to God could be a whole message in and of itself. And in November, we're actually going to have a training day where we'll be offering prayer training as to how to actually listen and hear God's voice. But for now, let me lead you through just a simple uh, picture of how you hear God's voice. And I'm going to need a, a volunteer for this. Who wants to volunteer? There's no, you just have to come up and work with me on the radio here for a minute. There's no speaking or funny business involved. Oh, we have people volunteering other people. Oh, hey, that doesn't work. Yeah. All right, who wants to be our volunteer this morning? All right, here comes Tyler. Okay, so Tyler, I have a job for you. What I need you to do is I need you to come up here. Um, now, 
First of all, I have to ask you, are you familiar with this contraption? Do you own anything that you would put in the top here or any like anything that resembles this contraption? Lindsay likes to collect CDs. Okay, so Lindsay has a CD collection. Yes, for those of you who are not familiar with CDs, they go in the top here and then you push play on here. They, uh, no more comments about that. Okay, so what we want to do on here, we want to focus on this little piece on the side over here on the radio. Now, what I need you to do is I need you to find a particular frequency on here. So I need you to find 106.5, okay? So I'm going to turn it on, and you're going to see. Okay. I'll give you a hint. That's not it. But I need you to find it, okay? So you've got your tuning button here, and uh, you've got your um, little readout on there. So work at it. See if, you, see if we can get it. We're getting closer, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> oh. No. Oh. Yeah, did you get it? You think? Okay, hey, good work. All right, thank you. Thank you, sir. Brilliant. Okay, so one of the challenges that you have in working with this and trying to tune to a particular frequency is like there's actually a lot of competition right around that particular address. There's a lot of radio stations that own bandwidth right around that particular um, piece of real estate. And so one of the challenges that we have when it comes to gaining wisdom in our lives is that you actually have to tune your ears, verse 2 says, to the voice of God speaking. You have to concentrate on it. And it's a challenging process. And it can be a bit tricky because there's a lot of competing voices in our world to God's voice speaking to us. But that language of pursuing wisdom, the first step to pursuing wisdom is actually listening attentively to the source of wisdom, to God's voice as he speaks. And this is hard work because it takes time to be able to identify it, to be able to work at listening to God's voice. But when it comes to growing wisdom, if you don't spend time listening to the source of wisdom, tuning in, searching, seeking, pursuing, then you're not able to grow in wisdom. And so one of the questions that I ask myself frequently, and it's a good, it's a good sort of pulse check on this question of listening, is this. Does my life actually look like that of a person who wants to hear from God? Does my life does your life look like that of a person who wants to hear from God? If you looked at your schedule this week coming up, would there be any indicators that you wanted to hear from God? Would there be any intentional time and space devoted to that? What is your drive to work 
look like? What do your mornings look like? What do your Sundays look like? Is there a time set aside in your calendar that you can intentionally hear from God? That's one way to develop a listening heart because if God wanted to speak with you, would he even be able to get an appointment with you? Or are you so busy rushing around with all of the things that you're concerned with, all of the things that are filling your schedule, that your life actually does not look like you want to hear from God? Oh, sure, you say, yeah, yeah, I want to hear from you, God. You know, um, can you download that real quick to me because I have another thing I'm rushing off to right now. Does your life actually look like you want to hear from God? For many of us, if we're honest, the answer is no. My life looks like I want to hear from my friends. My life looks like I want to watch hours and hours of Olympic coverage. My life looks like I'm oriented to hear from all kinds of sources except for the one that would help me develop wisdom. So let me encourage you with a few practices that I found helpful for me in this category. Three practices that might help you enhance your listening. And the first one is just that. Schedule a block of time this week to be alone with God. For me, I'm a morning person. Mornings work best for this. Might not be for you. For me, I get up. The coffee is already on. I sit out on the patio with my Bible, with my journal, and I just spend time listening and seeing what it is that God might want to say to me. That time of day may not work for you. You may not hear God well before several cups of coffee have kicked in. So you need to find a rhythm that works for you. It might be on your commute just saying, okay, I'm going to turn off the radio for a section of my commute this week, and I'm just going to actually devote that time to say, God, I'm here. You're here. If you want to let me know anything, this is a good time. Do you have a time or a block of time this week that you would put in your calendar to be alone with God? Another practice that you can do to enhance listening is reading a book or a blog and just seeing how other people have gone about hearing God's voice uh, because it can, helpful, it can be helpful to have some training in that. I really love the book, Your Ears Will Hear. It's a journaling book that's very short and easy to use by Friends of Jericho, Steve uh, and Evie Clausen. It's $3.28 on Kindle. And if you're Kindle Unlimited, it's free. So it has stories, it has questions, it has journaling entries, don't write on your Kindle, to prompt you to hear God's voice. But it's just a great little exercise that you might want to adopt over the course of this month to just get a book or some other historical classic of helping understand how other people have been attentive to God's voice through history. That might help you. And the third practice that might help you is just you might know someone around you that you feel has an, an ability to hear God's voice. Just say, hey, can I take you out for coffee? How do you actually go about doing that process? Could you coach me in that? Could you support me in that process? I want to grow that in my life, but I'm just not confident in it. What, would, what did that look like for you? And just keep asking them questions and see if they would be willing to coach you in that. That might be another practice that you might want to implement to enhance your listening. So that is the first piece of the puzzle in growing wisdom. The first action that we have to take is to be willing to listen attentively, to tune our lives into the right frequency so that we can hear God's voice speaking to us. So that's action number one. Action number two, you have to ask 
persistently. Ask persistently. And this is something that I'm not great at because when I think about what I ask God for, I'm kind of all over the map. Sometimes I'm asking him to help me with something specific, and then other times I'm praying for my neighbors, and then um, other times I'm going over here and praying for this, and persistence in prayer and asking and dialing in on something persistently is not something that I, is not a strength that I currently possess. But in Proverbs chapter 2, we see that when Solomon uses words like you got to search for it, like a hidden treasure, he's signaling for us that you're not going to stumble over wisdom walking the easy path. You're going to have to pursue this persistently, and you're going to have to ask and seek and knock persistently. This spring as a staff, uh, we attended a conference in Vancouver, a Multiply conference, and one of the speakers there was author Francis Chan, and he said something that stuck with me. He was talking about persisting in prayer, and he said, if a transcript of your prayers for this whole month was typed out, what would be the one thing that you would be asking God for over and over? If somebody typed up the stuff you had been praying about over this whole last month, what would that look like? A list of everything you talked with God about. And one of the sad things I would say for me is it would not have the hallmarks of persistence. It might be a longer list, but it might not be honing in and really focusing and asking God persistently for certain things. Might be a few prayers sprinkled every now and then about this here and there. But I wonder if one of the reasons that you and I don't have more wisdom in our lives is that we're not willing to actually just persist in asking God for it and staying the course. We get too easily distracted by shiny things in the window of the gift shop, thinking that that will be the solution for us. But Proverbs chapter 2, verse 3 says you've got to cry out for it. You've got to search diligently like you would search for a hidden treasure. In the New Testament book of James chapter 1, we're reminded that if we lack wisdom, we're to ask God. We're to seek after it. And God is going to give it generously to us, but we have to ask with the characteristic of faith and persistence. I wonder if sometimes we ask and then we're on to the next thing and oh, now I'm distracted by this. What would it look like for you and I to actually learn to persist in asking God for wisdom in our lives, in our pursuit of wisdom? To grow the tenacity and the resolve necessary to persist even when things are difficult. Well, if you've been paying attention, you know that the Olympics started this week. And one of my favorite memories of the summer games has to do with persistence. It's the story of a British runner by the name of Derek Redmond at the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona. And listen to how his story is told on the blog Weekly Heroes. At age 26, Derek Redmond had already broken two British 400-meter records, and he was preparing himself for the 1992 Summer Olympics, where he would be uh, taking place and competing in Barcelona. And the year prior, Derek had been a part of the British team that beat the favored American team, and they had actually won the 4x400-meter relay at the World Championships. 
Derek uh, had gone and competed at the Olympics in Seoul, Korea in 88, but he withdrew only 90 seconds before his first heat because of problems with his hamstring. And this time, Derek was convinced that he was going to be the one to walk away with a medal. He knew what he was capable of and he wanted to show it. And so on the day of the 400 meter, he showed up. His father, Jim, was in the stands along with 65,000 other fans. And the race began and Derek went out fast ahead of other competitors. He'd already won the first two heats. And so all he needed to do was make it through and then he was in the semifinals. So let's watch this clip and we'll see what happened. Later in an interview, Derek said, I had to finish that race. I told myself I would finish it, and I had to finish. And I kept hopping around, and then with 100 meters to go, I felt a hand on my shoulder, and it was my father. And his father, Jim, had pushed down onto the field, past the security. They tried to brush him off, but he ran to his son's aid, And Derek said to his dad, I'm going to finish this race, no matter what. And so without arguing, Jim just supported his son as he crossed the finish line. Jim let Derek cross the finish line on his own as 65,000 fans cheered him on that day. And that race will forever be immortalized Not because of who won or who lost, but actually because of the courage and the spirit of Derek Redmond and his father, Jim. And to this day, Derek Redmond holds an Olympic record. That of the slowest time in the 400-meter men's race. But he finished it. He finished it. He persisted. And I wonder if some of us when we don't get wisdom about a particular situation that we're facing or insight on a given situation after asking God once, maybe twice, we simply give up and walk away and think, oh, well, I tried that whole praying for wisdom thing. It just didn't work. Or when it comes to thinking about a relationship with God, we say, well, I tried that whole church thing. I tried that whole God thing. It just didn't work for me. But I wonder if sometimes we give up simply because it's hard and things don't go the way we imagine that they're going to go in our minds. But just because something is hard work doesn't mean that we shouldn't persist in it. Look at the words used to describe how we get wisdom in Proverbs chapter 2. You have to cry out for it. Search for it. Persist. Just like Derek Redmond. So let me give you two quick practices to persist and to enhance your persistence in life. First thing, maybe just take one thing that you're going to persist in prayer on through the end of this month. Today is the 7th, so you have 24 more days in this month. Could you choose one thing and say, you know what, this is going to be my focus And I'm going to wrestle with God on this one through August. Some of you are really good at this already. You have persistence. And you've been asking God for the same thing for a long time. Maybe it's a family member who's wandered far from God. Maybe it's a health 
condition. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in doing well. Persist. Those of you who are strong in this, help teach the rest of us who need to grow our persistence in this area. Choose one thing, maybe, and just grow your persistence by praying about it consistently through the end of this month. Second thing that might help you grow your persistence is when people ask you to pray for them, write it down. Write it down when people ask you to pray for them because the chances are you're going to forget it if you're anything like me. And so this is my journal, and I use this for three things. I use it for doing my life journaling in the morning. I use it for if I'm uh, somewhere in a learning environment and I want to write down notes on Sunday morning or at a conference or something. And then in the back, I write it down when pre-gathering prayer on Sunday morning or in other environments when somebody says, will you pray for me about it? Because I've learned about myself that I can't persist in something I don't remember. And so I need to write it down in order to be able to then persist in prayer. And so even this morning when we were gathered over in the side room there for pre-gathering prayer, I'm just writing down, oh yeah, that's good. I should remember to pray for that person or to remember to support that in prayer. And so you might want to figure out a way that works for you to actually just log when people ask you to pray for them as a way of growing in persistence. Use an app, use whatever you have to use to figure out how are you going to support each other as a community in prayer when somebody says, will you pray for me? How are you going to be persistent in that call? Because you can't persist in something you don't remember. So try to figure out a way that you're going to persist faithfully. So the third and final answer in how we grow in wisdom, the first one is we're going to listen attentively. The second one is that we're going to ask persistently. And the third one that we see in Proverbs chapter 2 is that you get wisdom by pursuing and working it out in your life, by living ethically. Verse 11, wise choices will watch over you. See, wisdom is just hypothetical aspiration unless you actually put it into practice in your life in some way. Wisdom has to be seen in your actions in order for it to matter. Ten days ago when we were uh, coming back from our ministry time in Africa, I was looking at a 16-hour plane ride and thinking, how am I going to pass time? And I thought, well, I'll just line up in a queue all of the Harry Potter movies, and that should, be, that should get me through 16 hours. Turns out they're actually longer than 16 hours. I only finished seven out of eight of them. And uh, one of the lines, though, that stood out for me was from the Chamber of Secrets. And in that, it says this, it's our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. And that line stood out to me. It's our choices, not just our aspirations or our abilities, because the same thing's really true when it comes to wisdom. It's how you choose to live that actually demonstrates that you have a grasp on wisdom. Whether you're wise or not is going to be shown in the choices that you make, not in your potential aspiration for wisdom. You could have been a wise person. Do you make wise choices? The real question around wisdom is, how are you living? When someone looks at your life, what do they see? Does your life look like a person 
who is walking a pathway of wisdom. What do people see when they look at your finances? What do people see when they look at the way in which you carry out your business practices? What do they look at when they see your parenting? What do they look at when they see the way in which you carry yourself in your neighborhood? Are you living as one who is wise? Does your life increasingly look like a person who's walking the pathway of wisdom? And so as we close our teaching time, let me suggest for you one practice to enhance living with wisdom in your life and living ethically. And it's a little bit of a risky one. And that is this, invite accountability into your life. Invite others to examine your choices, your motives, your ethics, your speech, how you spend your time. Ask people, hey, people that you trust around you, do you think that this is a wise way to think about my commitments for this fall? Or are there other things I should be considering? It's a scary proposition because you may not like their answer. But if you want to grow in wisdom, you need a community around you to help you increasingly make and live out wise choices. So as Ron and the team comes, let's review our wall of wisdom today and we'll respond in worship. So our three things that we've learned to pursue wisdom are, let's say them together. Firstly, we're going to listen attentively. Secondly, we're going to ask persistently. And thirdly, we're going to live ethically and just begin to walk out the wisdom that God has for us. Let me pray for you. And Ron and the team are going to lead us in two songs of response. And our prayer team, Sylvia and Meg and Gary and Betty, will be available at the sides and at the back for you if you'd like to ask a specific situation and say, I just need wisdom and need insight as to what God would have me do in this area. What path should I walk? So let me pray for you.